0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Local Freehold Podcast. Today, I have a really good friend of mine, and I'll have him introduce himself. Hey,
1: everybody, my name is Martine, and yeah, I'm a local here in New Mexico. You're a local? Mm-hmm. So, is it to my understanding, were you born here in yeah. Albuquerque? No, I was actually born in uh, the Bay Area in California, okay. and uh, I actually have. Compton, southern L.A. And then when I was four, my family moved here. We relocated to Albuquerque and been here ever since.
0: And you're the third out of five. <laughs> yeah, it dude. <did. laughs> it's kind of hard for me to say that because I've spent my whole entire childhood here for me to kind of question that. <laughs> but um, so uh, we're, we're from Bernalillo, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, one of the things is... Uh, where, uh, what, just tell me about yourself.
1: Um, a small town kid, man. Uh, we grew up here in Bernalillo, uh, got into sports, stay out of trouble, ate <sighs> a lot of beans, rice, you no know, chicken, <laughs> the usual, uh, that's what we had, and uh, after that, uh, I guess like the quick and dirty is you know, went to UNM, got a get a bachelor's degree, undergraduate degree there. Um, didn't use that. <laughs> Instead, I got into beer, started making beer, uh, worked for a couple of breweries, and got caught, got really bit by the bug and kept going. Found some love for whiskey and producing some of the harder spirits. So started working working into that. Got a first, my first professional gig was in Texas, and then I moved back to New Mexico and been part of the sort of slow growing distillery whiskey scene here okay since then so you
0: went to UNM you graduated Mm -hmm. yep didn't use it no so
1: (laughs) what did you go to school for uh dude well it's crazy it's crazy you asked because like when I went to school I really didn't know what I wanted to do and I was like well fuck it I'll just take a, a bunch of classes and see what I liked what hit and I ended up getting involved in uh, a campus ministry out there. Uh, I, I got involved in my f- in faith and like my belief in God. And I was like, well, I want to, I want to go preach the gospel you know, be like a, like a pastor kind of thing. Right. So I was like, I just need to get, I just need to get through school because I've already started this thing. I don't want to stop halfway. So I picked the quickest degree for me to get. And it was Spanish literature. It's Spanish literature. <laughs> yeah. So the story is, it's, it's like, it's, it's like majoring in English. But in Spanish. Oh, majoring in English, but in Spanish. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of like that.
0: Yeah, man, I I did some, like... I was like, okay, let me see if I can find his, like, alcohol. But something else came up about uh, the ministry. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was... uh, I read it, and I didn't know it was that intense. Yep. I didn't know. And, um, you know, that they took it to to a certain degree. And do you want to kind of lighten it on it, or...?
1: Sure, man. Uh, So... Gosh, dude, I almost—I almost feel like I want. Maybe we'll do the setup for like my childhood later. But when I got to college, man, I was chock full of tons of problems, dude. A lot of things I hadn't really thought through or worked through. Um, so, grabbing onto my faith was something that just started in college, man. I, I talked to someone about, like, they talked to me about Jesus or whatever, and. It resonated with me. I had this crazy experience at a uh, church service. I, I decided, "Fuck it, man! I'll go to church." And I remember going, and they had this service just near campus. It was a campus ministry to reach out to college kids. So it's all these young kids. I was like, "Oh, that's cool." Normally, they don't see that. And then I get to the church service, and they're playing these songs, and it's not like Catholic church, right? It's like rock and roll, dude. It's oh, like okay. guitars and pianos and just a drum set. I'm like, it's pretty cool. Alright, it's like a little concert. But then they, they so I come to later to find out. This is a church that believes in like they call it the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So one of these gifts is like the gift of prophecy or whatever. And so they can sort of see into the future, I suppose. Mm. So, the, or, or basically know something about you that you're, they're not supposed to know, but it comes from like divine revelation, right? From big guns upstairs. So this, this this gal had this like word of knowledge or, you know, this prophetic word for, and it was about like something to do with my dad that really struck hard. I was like, damn, that's for me. It was really specific too. So after she says what she needed to say, she says, if that's you here today, come up. To get prayed for, I was like, mm-hmm. okay. I felt totally weird, man. <laughs> and a part of me was like, get the fuck out of here, dude. <laughs> and, uh, but I was like, if I don't go up, I'm, I'm crazy. Like, I, like, this is happening now and I, there's no reason she'd know that. Um, so I went up. And then the, the pastor, uh, so people line up, right? This is like Southern yes, Baptist style. Okay, okay. And, okay. So the people line up and then the pastor comes praise for you but I was super skeptical. So I was like, this guy fucker touches me or pushes me back. You know, like, okay, like I'm going to have some words or like, I'm going to walk out. Yes. But he doesn't do that. Dude, he gets to me and he's just like, Hey, I've got for you. Like just pretty normal casual. And yeah. And I was, I, I, by the time he got to me, man, I don't know what came over me, but I was crying relentlessly and I, can only remember, like, feeling and saying within myself, I just want to follow God with all my heart. And eventually, I told that to him, I like, and he was just like, all right, this gets fucking weird, I bet. Mm-hmm. And so he just starts praying for me. He just starts praying for me, and, like, this fire comes over my body, and I fall down. And it's not like a backward fall. It's like I fell straight down, like my knees gave out. And then I'm laying down there for a little bit, and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? So then I get up. Music's still playing, by the way. Mm-hmm. These guys are rocking and rolling, right? So I go to the bathroom, slap water in my face, and look in the mirror, and I tell myself, like, like Marty, get yourself together, kid. Like, what the fuck? Come back out, a couple more songs, and then we stand in the, the chair. There's no pews, right? It's just chairs. It's, yeah. They rented, like, this local, like, a community center or something like that. And the pastor gives a sermon. Don't really remember it. The minute we're just like, uh, you know, the, the sermon or, you know, the mass ends, I fucking jet, dude, say say hi, bye to no one. I just get out of there. Yeah. And I remember walking out and I'll never forget it, man. I looked up, it was a sunny blue day. And I remember saying to myself, I'm different and I'll never be the same ever again. Hmm. I Like I, I said that to myself and I was like, and that's sort of like, so that's sort of my journey into like my faith, which was, uh, I, I really hold that as an experience in my life that was real, but then come down the line from my college career, like, you know, schooling, they came with all this baggage, right? So like church politics, and then now that I have context, you know, that's very like um, fundamental Christianity to take a lot of shit seriously, you know? Yeah. So like, is not as literal as you can get, you know, like some yeah. people take it like you can only wear it cotton or you know i mean like oh. it's soup like there's some other get really literal or take the bible really literally but uh yeah so they had a whole thing on like who you could date you know that was kind of i did read that i did say that you can date
0: and all this and they were like really strict and really
1: yeah really strict really uh you didn't have a whole lot of privacy they knew a lot about your life okay and i think that worked in some good ways kept me out of trouble um so then I guess it's not all bad, right? I look back, I'm like, okay, definitely, uh, I was kind of a wild child, so that kind of helped me a bit. But it helped me clean up a lot of areas in my life that I didn't know or that I didn't want to face. So uh, in church, you know, this is the church language, but they call it sin, right? But yeah, now I look back at it like it was unhealthy, it's like some of the habits I had, and I reconciled a lot of that uh, over time, but... Nonetheless, yeah, so if you Google my name, you'll see some crazy church shit. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm not part of that place anymore. Uh, Yeah, I moved on, learned some some things, but I I think uh – yeah, I learned some stuff, and and that's that's what, that's what it is. It's just learning yeah.
0: stuff, and it, there's good and bad. That, good and bad that came out of it.
1: Sure, yeah. So,
0: yeah. But it helps mold who we are. Not like I've been through that. I've, I'm <laughs> Catholic. I've been to the retreats. I've had that happen to me. I've yeah. done the crying. I've done all of that because it's it's an emotional experience sometimes. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you you bring up your childhood, like you said. So like mm-hmm. we so. Me growing up because a majority of my childhood was spent in this house that we're recording the podcast in.
1: Yeah, that's right. Dude.
0: Yeah, I it was a go home, shower, come back type of thing. It, um, and it was always just us. Um, well, or like so, how do you feel about that?
1: I think the way we grew up fostered this uh, very real sense of brotherhood and and belonging. Like, we always belong to each other, you know? So the sense of community and, like, family uh, ties is certainly real, but we didn't grow up in the best means, you know? Like, I I mean, and and you can say that about any culture, any kind of people like the Midwest, you know, Middle East, Alaska. So people find community in, you know, loved ones. But we all grew up with different, like, means, you know, like, some have more money or less money than others. Um, we grew up, I'll speak for my family, uh, We in a separate, uh, we didn't have two parents, right? Mm-hmm. I, my my parents were both immigrants from Mexico, uh, came over the border oh. illegally, and then during Reagan's administration, he gave pardons to immigrants who worked, like, Yeah, it works, and so my parents got a hold of that, so that was great. I got visas, and then, you know, so that was awesome. And they wound up in California, but when I was four, they moved to New Mexico, and they kept working. But, yeah, my dad worked, like, three jobs in California, some of the the talks I've had with them. My mom worked. She worked a lot. We kind of just took care of ourselves, so my oldest brother, Carlos, he just— did we talk about like an unpaid babysitter, man, with a bunch of kids, dude. (laughs) So it was kind of, we just raised ourselves. So a lot of unsupervision and, uh, yeah, man. And then my parents didn't make it, you know, that relationship didn't last. And uh, my dad, I'm sure, uh, I love my dad, but he found outlets to kind of um, outside the home, you know. I guess that's uh, the most, uh, the nicest way to say it. But yeah, he found outlets and eventually led up to my parents uh, divorcing because my mom couldn't stand those outlets that he'd found. Um, so so then my parents get divorced and like that's when I just got into high school. I think that was at, that was in middle school. And uh, my mom's a single mom working a full-time job, ended up working the night shift because it paid a little more, five boys in at home. And when she's gone, she doesn't know what the fuck's happening. That's how I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Occasionally it was six
0: because right. I was here and, you know, she... I, I love your mom more than anything in the world, too, because she was like a second mom to me, you know, dealing with you and then dealing with me because uh, we were just boys growing up in this house. And uh, it's... I, I love your mom more than anything in the world, too, because... She she didn't want to deal with us, with you, but she dealt with me sometimes, too, because I remember her giving me an earful sometimes. (laughs) Um, So so you graduate college. Yeah. So one of the things is that you picked up, what was it, beer first, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did that that go
1: about? So some of those, uh, so part of that, Church I was a part of in high and in college, um, some of those guys left when I left. Mm-hmm. They figured out, okay, this place, um, it, maybe it was good for a time. Maybe they got sucked in. Whatever it was for them, they came to a point where like, okay, I need to move on with my life. So they left, uh, and then that's around the time that I figured out like, this place is not good for me. Uh, you might find some language in the, yeah. <laughs> around their cults. Yeah. So okay. So a lot of people moved on, but those relationships were real, man. Like we'd been through some shit together and a lot of those guys lived together and, you know, like they would rent a house and mm-hmm. each would have a room and shit. Mm-hmm. So some of those guys, uh, you know, I sit in contact with, and those are some of my best friends today, but they had this idea of uh, starting this brewery called three brothers brewing. Mm-hmm. And that was as big as, and and I was like, well, I want to be one of the brothers, but I was a fourth one. <laughs> so it, but it was like they like three brothers brewing. So I was like, well, fuck it. I'll, I'll start brewing and then I'll compete and I'll be like their main competition or whatnot. Or I'll show them. Yeah. Like it, was, it was something like that. You know, I was so competitive. I mean, I'm so competitive today. But back then I was, uh, yeah, I did unsaddled, you know. So I was like just balls to the wall. And that's really where it started. I was like, I'll show them. I can make beer, too. So I started, like, reading up on a bunch of shit online, and then I, I uh, got an apprenticeship at a brewery downtown called Back Alley Draft House. It's no longer around. Yeah. Uh, and I met this awesome, awesome guy named Brandon Manalia. Him and I so, I mean, gosh, he, uh, we're still, like, really good friends today. hmm so he teaches me how to make beer and for the first several months I just worked for beer, man. Like I did all the garbage work, cleaning, and then I would go home with a growler. Okay. And that was it. Huh. I just I just did that, dude. So it's like it's kind of a true apprenticeship kind of thing, you know. I just yeah. uh, I just wasn't paid. So I did that for months, 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 man. And I was work and I did that while I worked, um at UNM. I was like I I worked for a, pro- a program called BAMD, but it's basically like advising kids on like, hey, okay. this is how college works. This is what the university has to offer you, you know, kind of thing. So we worked for that. And then on the weekends, I would go fucking make beer. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, I love this beer shit. And that slowly started to accumulate, dude, all this fucking beer equipment. I swear, dude, it was like the biggest vice because instead of going out and to the bars and you know, blowing 100 bucks a night, it was like, I'm buying kettles. I'm buying fucking like, stir sticks. I'm buying fucking yeast. I'm buying like ingredients. Yes. So I would start doing that in my garage and start pumping out beer, man, anyone who wanted to drink it. Some of it was terrible, <laughs> it, was, it was bad, but then you learn, you know, I learned, yeah. so then I like, okay, I started learning and learning and learning and then the, uh, my first paid gig was Steel Bender Brew Yard. that's still a brewery here in Albuquerque and I was taken, I, I started off as assistant brewer and cut my teeth on commercial brewing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to make it at the house in buckets, but then it's another, like, yeah. all stainless steel. They were on a 15-barrel system, which means it was, it was, like, north of 300 gallons okay. of a fucking batch. Yeah, 15 barrels. see. It's, yeah, it's almost 450 gallons. Mm-hmm. So I started making beer on that scale. I'm like, fuck, this is awesome, man. Learned a lot through uh, the head brewer there. I think he's still there. Bob Haggerty. Uh, I owe, owe, owe a lot to him, too. Um, he had uh, well, Previous to that job He was with Lacumbre Oh okay So that's sort of The cloth I'm cut from I kind of learned The Lacumbre style of Doing things through Bob And uh, Yeah man I That was I mean I, I That's probably Like maybe a minute or two Of talk on here On the podcast But that was years man Yeah That process took years And so I learned a lot Through that and that's when I was like, well, beer's cool, but is that, is there all, is that all there is? And started getting into whiskey. So like distilling, manipulating alcohol, mm-hmm. essentially what it is. And I, uh... Yeah, that's the next chapter, but that's how it happened for beer with me, man. Uh, I also uh, threw that in between there, hung out for quite a bit at Cazuela's. There's a brewery, like, bar and grill kind of thing in the Rancho. Batting cage, too. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I never worked there officially, but uh, Brandon, the guy I apprenticed with, was the head brewer there for a while. and. So that was another cool experience that I had. Their brewery system was pretty uh pretty uh like a uh, patched together. So okay. yeah, so they had, you know, some big commercial stuff, but a lot of it was um like dairy equipment. Okay. So it's not really meant for brewing, but they kind of repurposed it and but so yeah, I've, I've had quite a bit of exp- like uh I've seen a lot, dude. I've seen some like all brand new stuff to uh, we're going to Home Depot to get a piece of copper that normally goes to a water heater, because we need it as oh. a stopgap fix to a fucking brewing equipment system. So, Dang. seen quite a bit of stuff on that end.
0: And then, so you worked as bender. Yep. Uh, so before we go into the, the, stil- the distilling, you just I always want to get a picture. Like, how was a day,
1: like a good hard work a day, working as like the brewery yep. uh, apprentice? So, well. If you were just to see me walk in to do a shift and leave, it would look like this. I would show up around 8. I would get all the equipment up and running. So you get the water heated and make sure it's the correct temperature. Then the night before, I would have prepped. So I would prep the, the grain. It was move into a uh, – uh, it would be cracked. So it, it, it would be augered over It's kind of like a – like a shoot-looking kind of thing. It's it's basically it's PVC, like kind of like four or five inch or six inch something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's like an auger in there. It's so the a spiral that moves it forward okay. from a silo. Or some just breweries don't have the luxury of that. But essentially, it's like you got to move the grain from the bag or the silo to the next step of being cracked or crushed. Okay. You have to ex- you have to break the, the 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 seeds open, as it were, so expose like the nutrition and the sugars and all. Okay. So it, it we had roller mills, and so those things would roll, and the grain would fall in the middle. And it would be cracked in half and it sort of make it vulnerable, right? So mm-hmm. if you think of like taking like a, a hammer to a piece of corn, you know? Okay, kind of, okay. Just opens it up. Yeah. So we would do, I would do that. And so then we would collect that into a, a, a big bin, you know, a, a grist case, what really we called it. But And so in the morning we would transfer that now cracked grain into a big um, container called a mash tun. So we would fill that with the grain while we filled it with uh, water okay. at a certain temperature. And that would, that would make what's called a mash. And it's, it's sort of like a, an oatmeal-y soup thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, so it's like a big oatmeal thing. Uh, so just imagine that right in your head. Okay. There's actually a lot of enzymatic processes that are happening in that step that are crucial to the beer development. So even how hot the water is or how cold it is will affect the end result of the beer. Mm-hmm. If the beer is... Um, Real thin, or if it's got a lot of body to it. So stouts, you tend to want to have yeah, more body. body to it. A lot light lagers, you want to uh, have a little thin or crispness to them. Yes. So a lot of that happens in this phase, and this is also the phase that determines, for the most part, the final output of alcohol. So if you want an eight mm-hmm. percent beer as opposed to a four percent beer. Okay. So the mash happens there. Then what you do is that. Container has a what we call a false bottom. It's essentially it's like if you took the bottom of a of a pan of you know what you would cook like soup in. Okay. You punch a bunch of holes in it. Okay. Small small okay. holes, right? Yeah. So then as the water drains out, you leave behind all the mush and, gra- and, the and the grain. Oatmeal shaped. Exactly. About. So then you get this like oatmeal flavored like liquid. Okay. So brewers would call that liquid wort and it's super sweet, super sweet. It's it's like a lot of sugar, it's maltose, right? Mm -hmm. Super sweet, Uh, protein, a lot of vitamins, minerals, a lot of shit in that, so that liquid is gold, man. Mm -hmm. So we take that we move it over to the next kettle and that one's called the boil kettle. So that sweet, sweet wort, you boil it and that does really two things, uh, that pasteurizes it. So it kills any bacteria that was in there, makes it clean. And then while it's hot and boiling, allows you to spice it, so in beer we use hops. Oh yeah. It's a really bitter flower, and um, it, it count. It sort of balances the sweetness you find in beer, and makes it uh, really nice to drink. It's a balance, right? Yeah. If you add a lot of hops, you can get into different styles like pale ale, uh, IPA. Okay. If you don't bitter a whole lot with hops, you get styles like lager or okay. like uh, wheat beers tend to not have a lot of bitterness to them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that happens in that phase. And then the the next one, which kind of ends the process is, uh, well, for the, yeah, it goes that sweet uh, liquid that's now cleaned up, uh, it's put into a fermenter, mm-hmm. um, you cool it down so it's not super hot or boiling anymore, it's put into a fermenter and then you add yeast. So yeast metabolize and eat that sugar mm-hmm. and as a byproduct create CO2 and ethanol. So if you start with like uh, 10 points of sugar, you'll end with like zero points of sugar but then like five percent ABV okay so that's kind of that's a quick and dirty of how that happens and then oh
0: well that's pretty cool and interesting because uh, you know I love beer and I love drinking craft <laughs> beer and just to hear that kind of just I like, learned something today um yeah.
1: so okay now we go into distilling I was really interested in uh, whiskey at the time but there. There weren't that many distilleries in, New May, certainly in Albuquerque, but in New Mexico. And um, yeah, I uh, applied to one in Texas called Balcones. Whiskey starts with beer. So whiskey is just a, a manipulated beer. So um, mm. so like to kind of bring it back a little bit. So beer is made from grains, right? Yes. So it's like malted barley. In distilling, the end product is based off of what you use. To mash or make that. So if a whiskey is made from a grain. So you could use barley, like you could literally distill a beer, you can distill elevated IPA and that becomes a whiskey. Mm-hmm. You can use wheat rice, sorghum, rye, corn. These are all grains that you can use to make a whiskey. If your base is like apple juice. Okay. Because it's fruit based, it be creates a brandy. Okay. So so things like a uh, grapes and all that kind of stuff make brandies and if you your base is sugar and that makes rums. Hmm. And then there's a, you know, it, it gets a little more complex, but for the most part that's the general sort of uh, quick way to explain it. So um,
0: you you look on this job's website and you come across what the name of again? Balconis. Okay. Actually here's a bottle that yeah. uh, this
1: is our uh, Texas um, hot hot <laughs> bourbon. Ah. Okay. So it's fantastic. So I applied to them. They needed a brewer to make the mashes for their whiskeys, right? Yeah. So that's where my experience was directly applicable. Okay. So you actually, in distilleries, hire brewers or they have someone who knows the basic brewing process to make these fucking mashes I kind of described earlier. Mm-hmm. The, how they go about it is a little different, but the basic tenets are the same. You're taking grains, you're making them vulnerable through process of crushing of some sort, and then you make this fucking soupy looking shit. You, fer- you ferment that and then you distill that. So distillation is uh, just uh, – think it as manipulating, right? Okay. What you're doing is you're taking advantage of the differences in uh, physical properties. So water boils – I mean, I assume in sea level, yeah, 212 degrees. Alcohol, ethanol specifically boils that much less. So when you boil this shit – the alcohols going to leave before the water does. Yeah. And so that's how you get the separation. And then distillers, you know, they, they have processed piping, so they, it doesn't just go to the heavens, right? They control it. Yeah, manipulate yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And then they make that pipe cold again, so that's that alcoholic steam It's cold enough that it goes back into a liquid, and they collect that. Oh. So if you watch the Moonshiners, that's yeah. why it's normally near a river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that that fuels the uh, the cooling part of the process. Okay. And so that's all it is. You're just manipulating alcohol. You, you take a 5% beer... And you make it into, like, an 80%, 80%, 80% yeah. whiskey.
0: Yeah, whiskey. So there you go. So uh, let's talk about, like, okay, what, talk about your experience and, like, how, how was it going out there, um, being in Texas and starting, like, a whole new... Because you spent, what, how many years here in New Mexico?
1: Uh, 25?
0: And how much did you
1: spend in Texas? So one year in Texas. One, year one in Texas. full
0: year. So talk about that one year. How was it in...
1: Okay. Dude, it was awesome, man. I, I So, Baconis was a, such a great place to work. Where is it at? Where is it located? Waco, Texas. Okay. Yeah, you better uh, seen that. Me and Colt, dude, I swear. Like, <laughs> the fucking, uh, what that, Dave? Uh, I don't know. Why you talking? About. The, uh, the, yeah, Colt and Waco. Yeah, 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 oh my gosh. Uh,
0: Branch Davidians, whatever. Was that, like, like, a big thing out there? Is, was that, talk, or is that where, like, the main thing that comes up when you tell people that you work there or live there?
1: Well, it's one of the things that comes up, but if if you're from Waco, it actually happens, like, it happened outside the city limits, so it's around there. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, saying, like, the Albuquerque Massacre, if, you know, such thing existed, but mm-hmm. it actually happened in Bernalillo, you know? Oh, well, like, okay. You know what I mean? So gotcha. it's close enough that people associate it with Waco. I got you. But, uh... So, that, dude, it was like the master's program. That's how I viewed it. The amount of, like, knowledge I gained there, the people there know so much. The freaking dude, they're crushing it. I packed up my shit and just moved, man. Everything I could fit into a car and just drove right down there. I had found a, someone who's looking for a roommate on Craigslist. <laughs> I was like, oh, I just pay this person for, like, two months, and then at that point, I will get a feel for the city Yeah, like, bite down on an apartment, you know, like, a, a lease or something. Yeah. The lady who fucking moved in with you was fucking terrible. <laughs> she scammed me out of four hundred bucks, man. Really? Well, she, yeah, she was just like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll stick it month by month and then we'll figure it out." But then I get there, she's like, "I want both fucking months of rent up front." I'm like, "All right, that's not what we agreed to." And then she brings this like this conversation up in the morning as I am as I'm on my way out to my first day at work. Wow. So I'm like, what the fuck? So then I pay okay, whatever. So I, f- uh, I finished my work shift, come back, the doors are all locked and they cha- she changes the lock. So she don't, cause she wasn't happy with like how things had ended. I was like, no, like, hey, can we talk about this later? Yeah. Dude, so then I get the cops involved and then I, I knew no one, dude. Like, yeah, so yeah. the distilleries guys came up to help me. Oh my gosh, so thankful for those dudes. They bailed me out, and so I kind of crashed on one new couch for a bit, and then he helps me get an apartment in his complex, Mm -hmm. so then that's kind of how that worked out. That was my start to Waco, man. That sucks. (laughs) But after we got a place to to stay, I was just living on my own out there. Uh, Just a cheap apartment, man. Something near the uh, the Baylor University is out there. Something near there that I could afford, and just started making whiskey, man. Uh, Worked for Balcones, and got to know the town. So uh,
0: working with those, what are, other than like the distilling? What are other experience that you say that that uh, distilling gave you?
1: The management at Bacunas was fired, man. Was, they're awesome. I learned a lot about how uh, to develop culture at a business, how to interact with staff members, and it was always about the whiskey. People there, you know, there's there's always a the chumming, you know, drugs here and who's and how's. but. It was always just about making good quality product, and so management and learning how to develop like company culture and like treat people. Yeah, something I really learned there, and I'll never forget. For I, I was one of those guys who wanted to help out a lot because I like to know all the parts of the process. I learned about packaging, bottling. Oh, that's that was really important. Um, uh-huh. Marrying stuff. So what that means is like when you mix two liquids in the true sense, like marrying, you can't undo that. Yeah. So in that sense, like oh, okay, there's an art to that. A warehouse that was really interesting because a lot of the magic sauce and whiskey making is not so much how it's made but how it's aged you can do a lot of cool stuff on aging yeah a, a, a whiskey for sure so that uh, distillation i learned that as well working the stills and yeah
0: so you spent a year out there mm-hmm. and then what brought you back to that? brought me
1: back was i was actually here to visit a friend for his bachelor party who's getting married So we were gonna do a little shindig and a buddy of mine who owns a distillery here in town, Left Turn, he had mentioned that there was a distillery opening called Hollow Spirits and they were looking for someone to um, be part of that startup and they were looking for someone to have more creative inputs, create products from the ground up and really just a startup distillery. They're looking for someone to run the whole, the production area. So I heard that and liked the idea of being back home, but also being able to start up something from the ground up. And uh, I went for it. So I signed on with Hollow Spirits, and I was there for a while and got to create some pretty cool products and was really happy with that.
0: What, what, so you you, you were able to make your own, what did you make that of your own?
1: So when I made that, that was oh, my, my own from grain to glass was the whiskey. whiskey. Yeah. So the whiskey. Red 96 was a, uh, red corn bourbon whiskey that i made there and i was super pumped about it we won uh, an award for it for the best of city so that was really great i here yeah in Albuquerque, okay. best of city which was fantastic i was super pumped about that it was younger whiskey it was eight six months but i thought it was mature enough just to make it out in the market yeah and over time it would have gotten older in age right yeah. so we would have had more supply we had released in just you know unique places first, yeah. So over time it would have gone from a six to like an eight to maybe the twelve month product, and that would have been one product line, you know, yeah. The six, and then we would have launched another one after that. That was you know a two year or whatnot, yeah. So you can get you know the young version or the old version, yeah. So that was the idea behind it. That was really well received. People raved about that, loved uh, that, and uh, in fact, how did you feel about it? Like how winning that award, like it was great. I was super pumped, man, and that was just for the city. I. I had also submitted the rum that I had made uh, to an international competition, uh, the Denver International, and I won a gold medal for that. Oh, nice. So, like, and that was just a clear rum. Yeah. And uh, so the rum, I, I mean, the, the sugar, I had ordered it from Louisiana, uh, and yeah, come in, they come in big fucking bags yeah. and coats, and I ordered some molasses as well. I did a, a, a kind of a hybrid blend of sugar to molasses. The, the molasses has a little more richness character to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, use like very special yeast strains. They use a combination, and anyway, uh, really, really cool stuff came out. And uh, yeah, we won a gold medal for that, and I was super pumped on an international competition. Yeah, like, yeah. Like Bacardi submits to those things. So, oh really? Bacardi enters
0: that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Bacardi's uh, Puerto Rico. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like, I was like, wow, that's awesome. That's 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 really awesome. So that yeah.
0: So you pushed out the rum. Uh, Rum
1: whiskey. We made a uh, vodka, then flavored vodkas. Okay. So you, you run vodka, uh, vodka to distill and you flavor it with like lavender. I did and, see that on the
0: website was like a lavender vodka. I'm sure
1: you've seen like pickle vodka. Uh, no, yeah, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> so so have you tried the lavender vodka? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was good. It was I, good? Mean, I made it. I oh, um, made it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the vodka is sore, so a, a lot of places will buy uh, pre made vodka mm-hmm. from an, a bigger company. Buy that. You sort of uh, redistill that, add mm-hmm. water and, you know, rebottle and boom, there you go. Okay. Uh, so, so COVID happened.
0: So how did that affect, how did COVID affect that?
1: So the COVID uh, affected businesses that relied on patrons coming in. Mm-hmm. So restaurants, bars, one thing you, people had to physically be there that wrecked industries who re- relied on that. and unfortunately for a lot of breweries and distilleries um, to buy the equipment to package like bottle or can mm-hmm. things is really expensive or in uh, the margins are much smaller because you got to pay the middleman to move it yeah. you know to the store mm-hmm. so a lot of them you know make their money off of people coming in and buying the drink across the bar top so so I at that point I started thinking I want to make my own uh, company I, I, wanna, I think I'm ready to do that I and I spent the next several months planning that, figuring out, okay, how was I going to do it? Uh, I picked up some uh, some gigs here and there to just kind of get some cash flow. And uh, that's what I did during the COVID time. Yeah. All right. and uh, the, the initial hit of it, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's, still, it's, it. Still going, but it's still going. It's still going on. Yeah, yeah.
0: Slowly, it looks like we're opening up and getting ready to go back to
1: normality. Right. I hope, man. <laughs> Same. I, yeah. Uh,
0: so we're we're right now, man. So what? So what are you doing now?
1: It's been a lot of fun. I have developed some stuff. made you know some whiskey, some stuff that I I I want to release. I'm also going to do quite a bit of blends as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I uh, I'm I'm at a part now where I'm gonna do a big social media push probably into the summer. Yeah. And hopefully, I have some uh, products out in the market this year. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I just finished my, la- my label design. Uh, I By the time this airs, I should hopefully have like social media, like our Facebook page, our website. Um, and then the juice is coming, man. So my plan is to age some, release some of my own like made whiskey. Mm-hmm and also uh, release a blend so we talked about Johnny Walker earlier Yeah, like buying other people's stuff mixing it yeah
0: I was gonna say get into the get into the blending a little bit because yeah. if you um, if you go and follow uh, when, whenever you come up with that social media if you go and follow Martin he uh, the way from my point of view he posts it on his stories and he the way he sets it up he sets up like a certain uh, variety of uh, whiskeys uh, and then he blends them um, and
1: Yeah, uh, so I got into that. So I got a couple of things going. So the company I'm starting is Toro Whiskey Company. Oh. So this is a bull. It's a big red bull. Can't miss him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Toro whiskey company. That's what I'll uh, release uh, my commercial spirits. You know, you can buy that. Get a hold of that. Uh, my online, I have uh, a YouTube channel is whiskey martin whiskey That's also my Instagram handle, and it's uh, whiskey without the e. So it's the original spelling. So w h i s k y. And I, I release uh, like I have some reviews, but mostly just do blends. Mm-hmm. So uh, what a blend is, if you think of like the think the most well known one is Johnny Walker. So that's blended Scotch whiskey. So that means that that company buys other people's made whiskeys. They buy them, mix them, repackage it, and then sell it to you. So they actually, so you can actually not make whiskey but still sell whiskey. Yeah. And what you're paying for as a consumer is someone's palate or the you know their their expertise in balancing what's in the glass. And that's what a blend is. And so. In my on my channel, I go into what you could do at home with some of the whiskeys that are probably in your home bar, to kind of make them more sexier, complex, and more nuanced. That's fucking dope. There you go, man.
0: That is fucking cool. I I love the fact that uh, like the knowledge that you have, and you know, since we were uh, since we were young, you always kind of had like this drive. From my point of view, you always like no i want to fucking do it i'm gonna do it. it it was it was like either you know we grew up playing video games a lot you fucking were determined <laughs> yeah. and it's that's the one thing uh because growing up you were like the oldest one out of you know me like geeky me and jd yeah, yeah. so um you were like an older brother to me so kind of but seeing not- seeing that like drive and uh, it was just like little shit like it was little shit but you were like you always ha- you were like, you know you always had the determination and I see it through this process of what you were doing because you know it's you, you started off with brewing and you said fuck that you know I'm gonna go learn how to do this, the the stealing. Yeah. and then you're you're growing and it's I think it's fucking awesome and I it, you know coming from me I'm extremely fucking proud to know someone like you, because it's it's cool. It's something that you never really have a conversation with, you know, and it's it's very fucking cool. And I, 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 I'm, I think I just want to say I'm, I'm proud of what you're doing. Thanks, man. You're yeah. very kind. Yeah. You're very kind. Yeah, thanks. So, um, th- the we're, I just want to get some questions. All right. Yeah. So, what are your top five beers here locally in Albuquerque that you... Would recommend to anybody coming into town?
1: Breweries or beer, like actual breweries. Breweries. Oh,
0: let's do breweries and then a the beer that you would recommend at that, From that place.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I my. Oof. I'm just gonna go for it. I, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but this is my my selections. Best beer place in New Mexico is La Cumbre. They've never put out a bad beer. Their shit's fucking fire. Next, I would say. Mm, Marble. Marble Brewery downtown. They make solid beer. I love their stuff. And in the, in close third, Ex Novo. Ex Novo. Ex Novo mm-hmm. in Corrales. Uh, fourth, smaller. Not many people uh, uh, know about this place, but go check it out. Downtown, Sidetrack Brewing. Yes. Sidetrack yes. is fire. They put out some really good stuff. And then fifth place, ooh, I'm gonna have to give it to uh, Boxing Bear, man. Boxing Bear? Boxing Bear, dude. Boxing Bear, uh, I think the, the brewers, is uh, uh, Justin Hamilton. Yeah, they put out some fire stuff, man. Uh, I'm a big fan of Boxing Bear. Their stuff is, is solid. Boxing Bear. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I agree. Top five. Yeah, the yeah. Top five.
0: So for me, it would be. I just. I, that's what the place I went to the most, and I love the beer. Would be Cactus Brewing here in Bernalillo. Mm-hmm. Second would be La Cumbre. Third would be. Uh, I you introduced me to it was Monk's Brewing. Yep. I, I I and
1: that's also downtown. I think Monk's closed though, man. Is it, has it? I think their taproom closed, but you the can tap still r- f- yeah, tap but you can still find their beer. Yeah,
0: because like the last time I went to Monk's was what, like two years ago. Yeah, as a minute so, ago. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But they still, they still, you know, whenever I see their beer and I'm craving it, I'll go and grab it. And then, um, I don't know which one I was at. I think it was, like, on my last one. Um, that's it. Monk's. And then Marble. Marble's good. And then there's a tractor brewing that yeah. I like to.
1: See, there's there's so many good places. Uh, so It's, yes, it's a, hard. A tractor. It's hard there's Steelbender. Bosque. Uh, but, yeah, my personal five favorite. Though. There you have it. All right. And then, so, let's, uh,
0: so, what about your whiskeys so let's go from whiskey gin vodka tequila what would you in new mexico just do your
1: overall 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 favorite gin is hendrix too easy hendrix gin is phenomenal on the uh on a rock with a little bit of tonic yeah and a a splash of lemon or lime juice get out of town dude too Hmm. easy Hmm. you can slam those all day favorites vodka there's a company called Chopin. Uh, uh, it's Polish, it's a Polish uh, distillery. They makes uh, they make a potato vodka that's phenomenal. I love that. And and, and they do it from call it grain to glass or uh, starch to whatever. They they process all the shit there. That's my favorite vodka. My favorite uh, whiskey. Because I could be a snob. I'm going to break it down into varieties of whiskeys. I'll I'll do uh, American, Irish, and Scotch. Okay. My favorite Irish whiskey is Teeling. Teeling? Teeling. T-E-E-L-I-N-G. Okay. Uh, I love their their stuff, man. man. They uh, have a lot of their products that are um, finished in like a rum or uh, a port style barrel. Yeah. The rum one's pretty fire. Uh, My favorite Scotch will probably be... Brutatic, yeah. If you see the stores, it's like a big turquoise-looking bottle, uh, like container. Can't miss it. Brutatic is fire. And then for America, dude, Bacchus, man, I love their stuff. Uh, they're as far as whiskey goes in America. They're pretty. They're pretty bold. For sure, the amount of uh, spice and barrel character and, like, baking spices you get in their products are much more aggressive, I'd say, than you would in some of the more classic or older style of producers. Uh, I if, think if you look at bourbon as a as a class, you have more wheated and more rye-forward, uh, like bourbons. Yeah. Rye tends to give you a spicier character. Wheats tend to be a little sweeter. Yeah. I would say what's balanced would probably be... Uh, Buffalo Traces bourbon. Hmm. It's a good entry way into like bourbon to kind of know, learn about it. Yeah. Some other spicier stuff, I would say um, go bullet, bullet bourbon. Uh, that's a, a, a good rye, spicier type of bourbon. And if you want to go into wheat, weed bourbons, dude, Maker's Mark, man. Maker's Mark. Sorry, Miss. Maker's Mark is solid juice, dude. Those guys are like religious too on their process. So, like they don't change anything. Really? Uh, the water is, like, local, too. Like, the secrets mm. in the water as well, like, do this. So, the, those those three are good ways to get into whiskey or bourbon as a, as a American style. What does it, what, what my favorite is, Galkuna, is because if bourbon, in the true sense, is a very bold approach to whiskey, you're using virgin casks. You get the most expression out of that wood. Mm-hmm. The vanillas, the, uh, the, the cinnamon, the baking spices, the toffee, you know, the caramels, honey, you find a lot of that in the Texas or the Southwest climate, and I, Balcones does it really well, man. I mean, I'm gonna geek out a little bit, but yeah, they have Scottish yeah. steels, Scottish process. They use Scottish grain to flat engine from Scotland. No oh, way. They use Golden Promise. Dang. So it's got it's got Scotch written all over it, right? Yeah. But it's aged in America, in America, in a in a uh, high plains like climate, hot days, cold nights. They use virgin casks, mm-hmm. which is that's very American bourbon style. So it's sort of like Scotch. If it had, like, a baby with an American bourbon, like, boom. That's sort of how I view Balcones. Full mm-hmm. pack of flavor, man. They, they do some pretty wild wicked stuff up there. Oh, sure. Damn. Damn. There you
0: go. All right. So you brought the whiskey. Did that? You showed
1: off? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's try it, man. Uh, you want to pour theirs or mine first? <laughs> this is—so I brought mine. So this is one that I made, right? So let's do no lab-
0: yours. Let's do yours. No yeah.
1: label. No um, label. <laughs> And uh, yeah, this is one that I made, it's aged six months. Um, I wanna get to a place where this can be a two year straight at least. We'll do uh, some little pours there. And this mash bill is mostly corn. It's 80% and it's 20% barley. That barley, half of it was smoked. Mm, beechwood. Mm. It's a little, little like uh, interesting character there the other half was caramel. Yeah. It's the way it's processed but it, it, it produces a lot more like raisiny kind of sweet darker uh, flavors. Yeah. And corn tends to be really oily so you get a lot of buttery richness from that. And then you tie it all together for a couple months or years and uh, there you go.
0: That's good.
1: 100 proof. There you go.
0: and this is going to be on the Red Bull the Toro Toro yeah
1: yeah yeah Red Bull. so eventually I released uh, my own made like grain to glass products rain-to-glass. initially so it takes as I mentioned months to years to make whiskey so if a joint opens up and like hey we have bourbon come on come on I was like well how did you get it so fast
0: uh, I'm it, breathing fucking fire over <laughs> here man Yeah, I'm breathing fire over here
1: woo yeah so the way people get around that like how do you have it right away? Is you either source it, you buy it from someone else, okay, and package or blend and then resell, or or places will do um they'll do clear spirits, right? So they do vodka and rum, yeah, and then they'll make cocktails. So you essentially run a bar until you can afford to release, mm-hmm. you know, your your colored stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So say really we like to do it, but there you go. That was good. Here, try yeah. uh, I'm, I'm putting some bacon on that. Okay. So you can see the difference. Uh, so mine was just like six months. <clears throat> most this one of, is. Most of their stuff is around two year mark. Uh, on the back of their bottles they'll say, but I'm willing, this one doesn't. But um this is their pot still bourbon. I'm willing to bet it's around two years. Okay. Two years old, so. And you'll see the difference in the amount of flavor, caramel like more yeah um mature I would say more matured flavor. Uh, more mature flavor. Yeah so if you could think of it in this way like so okay hold on.
0: So the one that you had is six months. Six months okay and this the ones that the, from Texas are around two years ish? Yeah. This is, is, yeah. Yeah. one okay.
1: be this would be about two years. Okay. So there's a lot more there's a lot more there. Yes there is. If you think about sugar just as a class, uh, you, you get into like sweetness, sweetness. So, a younger style whiskey would have like a corn syrupy kind of flavor. Then, mm-hmm. as it gets a little further on, you can get into flavors like honey. Then, you get into a little more advanced, like darker flavors. When I say darker, you think of like maple syrup. Mm-hmm then you go on that and you get into like molasses. Do you see, do you see how it's going? It's yeah. in, it's in light yeah. to dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's sort of the direction you take blending is the longer you leave something in a barrel, you can sort of head down that darker path. Yeah. Now that's, if you're talking about bourbons because you're using like virgin wood, you can sort of steer things different ways if you use like, um, use wood, what I mean by that is like mm. putting whiskey into like a rum barrel. Okay. Right, so that barrel has had a rum in it before so you empty that out, and then you, now you have an empty barrel that used to have room in it. So a lot of that uh, wood magic has been used already. So yeah. it's sort of depleted. It's like using a, a tea bag over again, right? So the yeah, next time yeah, you use it, yeah. it's going to be less impact. So it's- if you were to use the
0: barrel from this six months, it's just it's absorbing the what you originally made, and that would right. that would help with the next batch as well, or the the barrel
1: yeah the barrel it would the barrel so say the the barrel that had the held my whiskey in it right oh, yeah after six months I pulled that whiskey out so now that barrel is empty so it's been used once before yeah the whiskey uh, has um, integrated with the wood there's, there's some there's certainly some there for mm-hmm. sure that will certainly influence what you put in there next for sure
0: yeah because the way I'm thinking about it is like how they cook with like wood pellets. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm kind of seeing it, is, like, if you were to, you know, some people like to use, like, different types of, like... Yeah, like, cherry or apple yeah, or whiskey. Yeah, so, yep. but, when, but when it comes to barrel, uh, barrel, uh, barreling your whiskey, it has that same effect-ish?
1: Yes and no, and this, uh, distilleries, for the most part, just use oak. Okay. Uh, Kirkus, is a Latin word for that. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, Albuquerque means white oak. White oak it's the latin roots are albus curcus like albus dumbledore oh. that means white yeah and then curcus is oak so white oak and then up up, up north you have algodonis yeah. it's cotton trees so it's all named after wood algodonis. there you, go. There so, you yeah. go so yeah like, so yeah we're not too crazy about the naming of things it's, people are typically pretty practical <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah 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 so uh, but still, that you tend to use just oak because the wood is really a resilient. You can't; it's hard to break it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a lot of, this is kind of the nerdier side, but a lot of seed cells. And so, what that does is, with enough of that, it makes it uh, watertight. You don't; it doesn't leak, right? Mm-hmm. So it's resilient. It's hard to break. It's watertight. And um, if you char it on the inside, you take a blowtorch or you burn it, you make the inside vulnerable enough to let some whiskey penetrate. Yeah. So it gets hot, it'll, it'll absorb it. And if yeah. it gets cold, it pushes it back out. So you get this, like, interaction, this in-and-out motion. Yeah. And the sugars, the flavors that are in the wood are soluble in alcohol. So hence, like, the, the whiskey tends to get darker with time. When you first distill it, it's clear, right? It looks like vodka. But after 6, 12, 9 months, whatever... It'll come out like copper or amber or gold looking, and man. that's that's the influence of the wood, man. That's fucking cool. It's crazy, dude. Just so, more shit. Yeah, to it. yeah, yeah. More <laughs> shit to
0: yeah. it. Yeah, it's, yeah. All right. So I just uh, I have one more question. Sure. To end the podcast. So if you were to uh, give advice to someone about your experience on how to do this or how to go along about this
1: specifically uh business or uh, just let's do more do general more let's do um
0: business going into this profession of brewmaster and distilling
1: people who want to follow the footsteps and start yeah. To, yeah
0: because here like here in albuquerque it's it's a, it's it's a, when code before covid came this is what we're like kind of what we're known for A lot of people love their beer here, you know. A lot of people, like, I love craft beer. Anybody that I talk to loves craft beer. And a lot of them are popping up. And I just, one of the things I did this podcast is for, you know, so so we can gain that knowledge so I can learn something. And whoever wants to listen can learn something. Right. So how would you go about, you know, taking those steps to getting... You know i did talk about your drive you have to of course you have to fucking work for uh, what you have to do um what 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 would you give uh let's be fair what would you tell your younger self yeah about how to get to where you're at
1: um i think off the cusp of i would give probably two key pieces of advice I think the first one's applicable to, I think most people, Mm -hmm. is figure out who the fuck you are. In the sense that what do you like, what you don't like. And as you start to figure out who you are and like your vessel, Mm -hmm. you figure out, okay, um, what's really important to you? And this leads into the next one, but what's important to you also with like uh creative control management do you like to be managed do you like to manage other people um do you like to be creative in your work do you don't mind uh just doing the day-to-day paperwork and keeping something afloat or running figure out what you like and if you could figure out the perfect job and if money was never made, let's say money didn't exist and you just go out in life and do something what would you spend your time doing that's kind of a good place to start and then once you figure it out, well, I like doing this thing, well, who do you like doing it with? People alongside you or teaching people how to do it? Kind of first place to start. Well that leads into the next one is the, I think the COO should be the CEO. The executive officer, the face of the company who manages and runs shit, should also be head of who, doing the operations, right? So a lot of companies you'll see, like the guy who runs the shit is different from the guy who does like shit. does the shit. It's really hard if you're gonna open a brewery or distillery and you don't know how to make beer or make whiskey. Because then or it's a saving in a restaurant, because then you'll always be reliant upon the guy doing that shit. Yeah. How they tie into each other. If you are the kind of person like me where you like to have freedom, autonomy, mm-hmm. If you figure that out in the first step of who you are, then you know, okay, when I want to start my own whiskey business or brewery, you know, I may not want to jump in bed with a lot of investors because now you have a boss. You may not want to jump in bed with a lot of banks and borrow money because now the bank is your boss. Mm -hmm. So you have to know that about yourself. You have to know, oh, I don't really mind um, owning 30% of my company. Because the other two guys, they do the marketing, and the other guy does all the logistics. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're cool with that, you have to you, you'll figure that out in the first step, right? What? How much are you down to playing on a team or willing to share? You figure that out, right? For people who find themselves like me, like I want to be an entrepreneur, open my own place, and own most or hundred percent of my business, and start a brewery. I think the way you do it is. Low and slow to start these things are really expensive. You save every dollar and penny you can and you get a big fat goose egg and then boom. It may take you 10 years to save it, but that's how you find the resources. You look for grants, you look for ways to side hustle and build capital and cash, and you do everything you can to set yourself up for the future that you want. So there you go. I
0: just wanna thank you, man. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you. And that's it. All right, all right. Thank you.